0: welcome in to a new edition of the Rocky Mountain Hoops podcast. I am your host TJ McBride of Blue Wire Podcast Network and of Mile High Sports. The Rocky Mountain Hoops podcast is the Denver Nuggets podcast for the Blue Wire Podcast Network and the home of the Rocky Mountain Hoops podcast is on milehighsports.com where you can read about anything happening across any sport in the Colorado area. The Nuggets finally have started their 2019-20 season officially. Yes, there's been training camp. Yes, there was summer league. Yes, this, yes, that. They finally played an NBA game against an opposing nba player and that is the official start of the 2019-20 season and of course the nuggets started off their season on a positive note they beat the portland trailblazers the same team that knocked them out of the western conference semifinals on their home court in game seven they beat that team 105 to 94 And there was a lot to take away from this game, nothing that was concrete, because trying to take too much away from preseason and training camp is just a very easy way to develop some terrible takes off of a very small sample size, but with that being said, there are some narratives, there are some sample sizes that are being built up that are beginning to paint an interesting picture, so... We'll talk about, of course, we'll talk about Michael Porter Jr. I'm going to shelve that for a second because I'm going to get into that extensively once we get into the actual meat of this podcast. Um, I want to talk about how the Nuggets played great defense in this game. Michael Malone was harping that he wants this Nuggets identity of his team to be a defensive team despite the fact that they are so good offensively, and it really seemed like they struck the right chord in this first game to be able to at least live up to what Michael Malone, their head coach, wants them to live up to. Portland only shot 34.1% from the field in this game they were 6 of 30 from 3 Denver forced 22 turnovers they had 11 steals and had 4 blocks and you really saw this Denver Nuggets team selling out not only to protect the 3 point line as they did last year but also trying to find a way to also protect the paint at the same time and a big way they were able to do that was just putting more length on the court they have not had very much length throughout the season but when you have Jared Vanderbilt, Michael Porter Jr. and Jared Grant all on the court together with a Malik Beasley and whoever else you want to add into that picture, whether it's Monte Morris or Will Barton or Jamal Murray, there is so much more length. There is so much more ability to close space. So the Nuggets were able to stunt down whenever there was an opposing player who got into the paint, but were still able to contest three-pointers after the ball is kicked back out to the perimeter. That is the sweet spot for the Nuggets that Michael Malone wants them to hit. And also, this is a very difficult sweet spot to hit. When you sell out to protect the paint, you give up open threes. When you give up open threes, or when you start, when you sell out to stop open threes, you give up points at the paint. It's very, very, very difficult to do both. And really, in my opinion, the only true way to be able to do that is to one have just the most insane high IQ defensive players on the floor that can see the play developing in real time and be three steps ahead of the rotations that are happening in front of them, or just have so much length on the floor that you can be able to get back out to three-point shooters to be able to contest the shot despite the fact that you stunted down on a player driving to the rim. So that was a very nice balance they struck in this game. There were obviously some bad moments where players got blown by or there was a wide-open three they gave up, but when you're trying to strike that balance, you're going to have moments where there's going to be an open layup or an open three. The point is to consistently limit the quality of look from both of those spots over a long period of time. You're never going to get every last shot to be difficult on an NBA floor when you're trying to sell out to defend both the paint and the three-point line, but the Nuggets are doing what they can to strike that balance, and they they did a good job of that. Um, Offensively, it was extremely clunky without Nikola Jokic, as to be expected. Mason Plumlee is a very good player. Um, uh, He's a good player, but at the same time, he's not Nikola Jokic, despite the fact that he can move the ball pretty well. The Nuggets had only 21 assists to 24 turnovers in this game, which really, to me, it felt like a product of the fact that the Nuggets don't have their best player on the floor. That's really the end of it for me. Um, but overall, mostly all good things from the first preseason game of the year. Uh, before we take our first break, I need to talk about how hysterical it was that Michael Malone with 32 minutes of game time before inserting Michael Porter Jr. and then gave him the last 16 minutes of the game. Well, for, well part one, I love this because it made it look like Michael Porter Jr. is going to have to earn his way into the rotation, which is exactly what he should do, but he got... A 16 straight minute stint in which he was able to go out there and do what he did. So he was not so he didn't go onto the court, get real loose, get real hot, and then sit down and get tight on the bench before going back in. Malone just gave him one big run on the floor, and I think that was a really smart way of doing things. But it was just so funny to watch Twitter eating itself alive as Michael Porter Jr. did not get a single minute in the first half, and it took eight minutes in the third quarter to even get him on the floor. So I found that hysterical, and I had to at least include that. So, um, But we are going to take a break, but before we do, I need to give some love to the Regulators production group. They are the ones who built the beats for the intro and outro of this podcast. Without them, this podcast would sound a little bit more mediocre than it does, so make sure to go reach out to at RegulatorsRegime on Instagram to go get any audio production needs you have filled and taken care of. Um, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll come back in a second to talk about my takeaways from the very first preseason game of the season. Following a team you love in 2019 can be time consuming. Trying to follow everything happening in sports is almost impossible. Scrolling through every app and visiting every website on a daily basis is impossible. That's why I subscribe to Axios Sports, the best free daily newsletter in the land. Axios Sports is a modern sports page delivered directly to your email inbox. When you sign up for free at sports.axios.com, you'll get the best stories from the NBA and NFL to cricket and ping pong and everything in between. Axios Sports also highlights the most important stats and trends, giving you the ability to stay informed. It's super simple to sign up and it's free. Sports.axios.com Not only will you be caught up, you'll be the friend sharing an amazing link with your buddies. Join the 100,000 sports fans who get caught up on the day before it even begins. And best of all, there's no paywall, no subscription fee, nothing. This is free, curated sports Content delivered directly to you. Sign up at sports.axios.com. Again, try for free 99 at sports.axios.com. Like I said in the first segment, there really aren't a whole lot of concrete narratives to take away from the very first preseason game of the year, but as you start getting more and more sample size and as you start getting a better look at what this Nuggets team looks like together, you can at least start to formulate some opinions and some things to continually look for. So these takeaways are not concrete facts, they are things to continue looking at as the Nuggets preseason continues to unfold and the regular season begins. And of course, the main takeaway from this game was Michael Porter Jr. finally playing NBA basketball for the first time in 19 months. It's been over 500 days since he has played competitive basketball, and it was just so damn good to see him out there. That's really what this is. He played basketball, he dunked, he shot the basketball, he ran, he jumped, he tried to rebound, and he didn't break any bones, he didn't hurt any part of his body, he's not going to be sitting out next game, all of those things, that's the important part of this i don't care what he looked like playing basketball everyone knows that he has a incredible skill level within him as a player that is not to be you, know, you can't argue that his skill level lacks what you can't argue is can he actually stay on a basketball court and this was the first step towards at least you know taking away from the narrative that he is just going to constantly be injured at the nba level so I really didn't care how he played. My bar, as Matt Moore of of the Action Network put up on Twitter as well, was just doesn't get hurt, plays basketball, and is able to go and play the next game as well. That was where my bar was at, and he absolutely exceeded that. Um, he did look a little bit sped up, but I think my biggest takeaway from watching Michael Porter Jr. finally play was that, he just looks like he was comfortable on the floor. He looks like he's at home on a basketball floor, and multiple players have spoken about this. Michael Porter Jr. has said multiple times that he feels like he was destined to play basketball. Monte Morris said the same thing after the game, that it just seems like he was meant to play basketball, and when you watch him on the floor, that is the exact feeling you get. That looks like where he is at his most comfortable. That looks like where he is at his most peace, was just being On a basketball court and being able to contribute and just play the game he loves. Sure. As I wrote from my one-on-one conversation with Michael Porter Jr., he has grown as a human being in multiple ways. It's not just. um, He's not only a basketball player anymore, which is very good, but that does not mean that he does not find solace on the basketball court, and he absolutely looked like he was comfortable. He was talking shit to the Blazers' sideline after he hit his second bucket of the game because apparently Nurkic was talking some kind of crap himself. He was taking heat-check three-pointers, nailing mid-range jumpers over taller defenders, and he was just having fun fun. His first bucket of the game uh, was... An isolation possession where he had the ball in his hands and just basically used a hesitation move, an inside-out dribble with his left hand, and pulled up over Zach Collins, seven-foot Zach Collins, and just swished it. It was just such an effortless-looking shot, despite the fact that it was an incredibly difficult shot. He followed that up by hitting a baseline jumper right in front of the Blazers bench, and where he turned back around to the Blazers bench and started talking crap at them. And again, a very tough shot, fading away on the baseline in front of the opposing team's bench, and he was able just to nail it. He ended up playing 16 minutes, got 9 points, was 4 of 7 from the field, and had 3 rebounds in this game, which overall is good. I was actually very, um, I was surprised by how comfortable he was considering how long it has been since he has played basketball. Um, Still, though, he struggled to know where he needed to be. He seemed sped up and all of those things, but he didn't get hurt, and he got to show off his freakish skill set. So let's take it offensive and defensive for what he was able to show on an NBA floor on his first game and offensively he kind of fell back into his old ways of taking mid-range tough shots and playing with the ball in his hands more but honestly I have no problem with that in the first couple games he has to start killing that very very quickly because as Michael Malone has stated extensively he needs to learn to be a productive off-ball player um, as his primary option offensively he can't expect to play with the ball in his hands on a team that has Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray and Will Barton and Gary Harris and Paul Millsap and all of these other players that are going to need the ball in their hands for the Nuggets to be the best they can be. Still though, He's getting back into a rhythm. He's getting comfortable. So the fact that he's taking the shots that he's most comfortable with is extremely expected. This is not anything that should be overanalyzed or anything like that. Of course, he was going to take the shots he was most comfortable with in his first basketball game in over 500 days. That seems to be pretty standard in my opinion. So I wasn't really worried about that myself. Um... The one really cool thing that I thought was awesome was to see him at six foot ten run a pick and roll as a jumbo wing player and get to the rim and score through contact. Because first of all, there was worry about how he might deal with the physicality of the NBA game. So to see him score through contact is good, but what you really got to see was that he has handles. It may not be, you know, elite level handles or anything like that, but at six foot ten, being able to play both forward positions to be able to handle the ball seemingly like a guard, that's even the that Nuggets just don't have, and to be able to create more mismatches by having a player who can do things like that, it just creates so many more opportunities and advantageous situations for the Nuggets' offense. So, at his size, the Nuggets now have a matchup nightmare to utilize. So, it's going to be interesting to see how he is integrated into the lineup now once Nikola Jokic plays in the second preseason game coming up tomorrow on Thursday, because that's really going to be the moment in which I think we see if he has really been able to learn how to play off. Ball throughout the training camp and throughout the summer, um, it makes sense. Again, Nikola Jokic didn't play last night, so why would he not play with the ball in his hands a little bit more in his first game, considering that he's playing alongside Tyler Zeller and Mason Plumley? It makes total sense for me that he was doing that, but now we get to see what he does with Nikola Jokic. Will that skill set and that just preternatural touch as a jump shooter, will that translate off the ball as impactful as it is on the ball that's really going to be the name of the game for the last three preseason games I also want to see him play more than one stint he played 16 minutes straight through which I'm sure was by design because if he played eight minutes sat down for 10 minutes got cold his body starts to tighten up and then he went back out there and got hurt that would be a disaster considering all the build-up to Michael Porter Jr.'s debut so it I would like to see what he looks like not just playing one stint and staying warm, but having a couple stints and seeing where he fits. So it's going to be interesting to see kind of how he fits into the situation once we get to all of the players are playing. Nikola Jokic is playing. He's a lot out there with the starters every once in a while. That's what I want to see. and I'm curious how he's able to play on that role. Let's talk about his defense real quick before moving on to other takeaways. He looked lost. I mean, there's no way around this, and that's fine. First of all, every rookie, it's seeming. I mean, Zion Williamson has probably the biggest upside of a defender right now of a young player not named Jaron Jackson or a Matthias Teibel. Uh I'm still going to leave him above Matthias Tybell, despite the fact that I love Matthias Tybell. But defensively, he has... He was lost, man. Like, he didn't know where to be. He he understood the rotations that he had to make, but you could almost see him thinking through the rotations, which made him that much slower, which meant he was not able to get to where he needed to be. He gave lots of effort. This is not a thing to bash him for the fact that he did not give enough effort. He absolutely gave plenty of effort, in my opinion. He was tr- trying to contest and stunt down on people and close out three-point shooters and make rotations to the open man at the rim. There was a play where there was a dribble handoff where the Nuggets sold out and hedged up the floor. The Big slipped. He rotated from the weak side, but he rotated a half second too late, which allowed the Big to get very low post position on him and score over him. It was great that he saw the hedge happen out of the corner of his eye and the peripherals, make the read to get to where he needs to be and pick up the player. That is extremely important that he is mentally able to walk himself through it and see the rotation he needs to make. It may be a simple rotation, but the guy has played three basketball games since he was in high school. This is going to be a long work in progress, and the fact that he's already thinking through it is very promising, but he needs to get the mental part of it quickened to where it's instinctual. It's not a methodical thought process of, I need to get there I should leave now okay I'm now I'm late now what do I do it needs to be instinctual because his size his length his vertical ability as athleticism is going to shine defensively once he learns how to be able to get to the spots instinctually and not think through it He also struggled on the perimeter, he was dying on screens, which makes sense for a player who is still trying to open up his hips and get more hip flexibility to snake around those screens. When you have multiple back issues, your hips are going to tighten up, it's why he had his hip issue prior to the NBA draft, which ended his pro day, that he eventually had to reschedule. So it makes sense, it's going to take time for his hips to open up. You don't just stretch and all of a sudden your hips are open, that takes time. So he died on a couple screens, wasn't able to get over, but again... He tried to contest every shot that was around him. He tried to stunt down to be disruptive on defense when a player drove by him when he was on the weak side or defending someone else off ball. He gave tons of effort, but he wasn't quite able to be impactful in any way because he just isn't there mentally yet. It's going to take time. But again, for Michael Porter Jr., I don't think you could have expected anything better from his debut. He looked comfortable. He looked like he was ready to play. He said all of the right things, and he seemed to buy in to what Michael Malone is selling for what he needs to do as a player on the Denver Nuggets. So overall, if you had to grade Michael Porter Jr.'s debut, I can't see anything other than A-minus or an A. Sure, he wasn't perfect, but he showed all of the skills that made him such a tantalizing prospect while also showing that he has upside that has not been touched yet while also buying into what Malone is selling. So overall, I don't know how you can find fault with what he was able to do in his in his debut. That was a lot about Michael Porter Jr., so I am going to move on to the small forward battle, which is probably the second most um, intriguing narrative heading into the NBA season for the Denver Nuggets. So there are four players, as you guys probably know now, who are battling for the starting small forward position. Will Barton, the incumbent, Tory Craig, who has the trust of Michael Malone, gold medalist and world champion Juancho Hernan Gomez, and rookie sensation Michael Porter Jr. That's how I'm going to phrase this. So in this game... Will Barton started, which I don't think is massively notable, by the way. Um, I think Michael Malone is probably going to start multiple different people at the three. And Try and get a look at what they all look like in different rotations and things like that. So, I would assume that Tory Craig probably gets the start in game two or Juancho Hernan Gomez, but we'll wait and see. But Barton started the first half with Tory Craig backing him up. Juancho Hernan Gomez started the second half with Michael Porter Jr. backing him up. So, that's kind of how Michael Malone utilized the first preseason game to get a look at all of his small forwards. Um, all three of Michael Porter Jr., Juancho Hernan Gomez, and Will Barton played 16 minutes. Tory Craig only played seven. Again, I don't think that's massively notable. I think you could see that swing to where Wancho plays a lot less minutes, Tori Craig's minutes go back up, and you get that working. I don't think this is the end-all be-all, but it was interesting to see that Torrey Craig played less minutes despite feeling like the leader in camp as the potential starting small forward. I would say Will Barton and Michael Porter Jr. shine the most throughout this process. Um, I'll talk about Will Barton a little bit more extensively when I talk about who impressed and who didn't. But overall, I thought this was exactly the game that Will Barton needed to be able to get himself back into the running for the starting small forward role. Being hurt with the hamstring injury the first couple days of camp did not help his case, but ever since he got back on the floor, it seems like like he's been building up his odds to be the starting day small forward, and in this game, Will Barton did everything you wanted to see. You know what, screw it. I'm talking about Will Barton a little bit more right now. Will Barton, first of all, I'll just give you his stat line. Will Barton had seven points on three of seven shooting. He missed all three of his threes, um, played 16 minutes, had four rebounds, two assists, zero turnovers, was a plus two. Uh, Sure, everyone's going to immediately point to the fact that he shot three of seven from the field and missed all threes and that he may have been a little trigger happy, but Will Barton is trying to build a rhythm in the preseason without Nikola Jokic on the floor, which makes the most sense to me. Of course, he was going to be gunning more in this game than he does in other games because he has the ability to do so and needs to get back into a rhythm. So that I'm throwing out. I think people are being way too hypercritical of a preseason game as if it's game four of the playoffs. I don't see it that way. I thought Will Barton was extremely productive. Sure he missed all 3 of his threes, but you saw vintage thrill getting to the rim. He had one bucket, or he had one layup that was a little bit too strong that he missed, but he hit he had two great just from the three-point line explode by your defender and finish up the rim with the athletic ability and that was just vintage thrill. He was still making plays for his teammates. Two assists, zero turnovers as he usually does. He was the only player of the starting unit to not have a turnover. Everybody in the starting unit had at least two turnovers. Paul Millsap had four. Jamal Murray had three. Mason Plumley had three and Gary Harris had two. Will Barton had zero which is an important thing in my opinion. His ability to create as a secondary or tertiary playmaker is extremely important. The thing that was most revealing for me about Will Barton was his defensive engagement and intensity. Will Barton was not playing in this game. Will Barton did everything he could to contest every shot in his area, to stunt down as often as he could, to get every rebound he could treat he, that was in his vicinity. You could see his level of engagement on the defensive end and his, men, and his mental awareness of what was happening on full display. The very first possession of the game, he ended up blowing up a dribble handoff and almost got a steal just right there because he was fighting through the screen so viciously that he ended up just blowing up the set. So to see See Will Barton understand that the one thing holding him back from being the player he wants to be is his defense and diving in so much to be a better defender. That's extremely notable. And if Will Barton is able to be a league average defender, suddenly he becomes the most likely player to start at small forward. I don't think he'll be league average. I think he'll be near it. But he still has a ways to go. He's going to be undersized against bigger against bigger forwards, things like that. But he looked like he had given so much more mental energy to the defensive end of the floor. Um, the other player that, I, like I said, that shined, of course, was Michael Porter Jr., who was able to... You know, he 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 did what he did. He hit mid-range contested shots. He didn't get hurt. He ran the floor. He was somewhat mobile. He looked like he gave a lot of effort where he needed to give effort, and that was all good. I'm not going to continue talking about Michael Porter Jr. Just go back and listen to the last ten minutes if you want to. The other two players. Torrey Craig and Wancho Hernan Gomez, they weren't necessarily bad in any way. Uh, Tory Craig just didn't really impact the game in a meaningful way. Sure, he had his five rebounds in seven minutes, as you can expect from Tory Craig, because he is just a relentless rebounder when he's out there. But he didn't hit the only shot he took and only played seven minutes. Wancho Hernan Gomez missed all three of his threes, had two just wide-open ones that he should have hit, but was strong in other ways. He had three rebounds, three assists, and three steals, despite missing all three of his three-pointers. So... Overall, both of them, they were fine, but they didn't really do anything to build their stock, in my opinion. So the small forward battle right now, Will Barton and Michael Porter Jr.'s odds have increased. Tory Craig's and Wancher Hernan Gomez has likely stayed the same. So it's going to be interesting to see how that role continually develops throughout the preseason. Next, the Denver defense was stingy, man. This Nuggets defense was, it was interesting to see how bought in they were for the very first preseason game. And this game did not feel like a a preseason game in the first half. You can tell there is a rivalry brewing between Denver and Portland. These teams see each other a lot. They battle it out a lot. They have, you know, duked it out in the playoff. There has been a lot of crap talking. It feels like there's just a little bit extra of an edge. And you saw that in this game. The part of the Nuggets team that was the most impactful defensively was their bench unit. Their Portland's reserves were a combined 16 of 54 shooting in this game. That's 29.6%. There was a lineup out there that was Monte Morris, Malik Beasley, Then you had Jared Vanderbilt, Jeremy Grant, and then whether it was Michael Porter Jr., Torrey Craig, or Wancho Hernan Gomez. That five-man group, depending on whatever small forward you threw in there, was so good. And this is what I talked about again in the very beginning of the podcast. They had length. They had athleticism. They had guys who could stunt down and have the burst to get back to the perimeter to be able to contest a three-point look. That amount of length and athleticism of having that kind of a bench unit made things extremely difficult for the opposing team's offense to get going, and the other thing is too, they can switch everything. When you have Jeremy Grant and Jared Vanderbilt as your four and five, suddenly you have some very mobile, very athletic, very long defenders who can play on the perimeter, can play down low, can play in isolation, can play in a, in a team construct. And I thought that I, that that pairing, Jared Vanderbilt and Jeremy Grant, was. Awesome, and I want to see more and more and more of that as things continually go along. I hope Jared Vanderbilt can carve a rollout in this team. It may be at the expense of Mason Plumley, who was just kind of there last night, but I do think that getting small ball five minutes for Jeremy Grant and playing either Paul Millsap, or if we need to get Paul Millsap a rest, play Jared Vanderbilt at the four, that is a very, very functional defensive front court to give Nikola Jokic a break while still being able to play small and run teams. So I want to see more and more and more of that. But let's talk more about Jeremy Grant. Jeremy Grant looked just as great as advertised. He hit 3 triples in this game, blocked 2 shots, but really deterred a lot more shots than just that. He had a dunk that only took 3 steps from the 3-point line to make that sent the Nuggets, you know, that sent Nuggets fans into a frenzy. He was even initiating offense from the high post a couple times and again, Playing small ball five with Jared Vanderbilt was a lethal front court in this preseason game. Uh, we'll have to see how it plays out later on, but Jeremy Grant was just as great as you could possibly think he would be in his very first game as a member of the Denver Nuggets. He did everything you would hope he would do on the court. And then Paul Millsap. Was hitting threes, defending his ass off, eating people alive in the low post. Paul Millsap looked like vintage Paul Millsap. I'm not sure if he's 29 or if he's 34, but man, he looked good in this game. I was very, very surprised by... I, I wasn't surprised. I was... It was notable how he came out and just immediately asserted himself on this game with Nikola Jokic out. And I want to see if they start, if the Nuggets decide that they want to stagger Paul Millsap and Nikola Jokic this year because now that they have Jeremy Grant and they have a Jared Vanderbilt who has come further along, they can do more of that because Paul Millsap can initiate the offense and give them the boost that they need to give Nikola Jokic a break without having everything fall apart like it did during the playoffs when Mason Plumlee entered the floor. So I do wonder if we see Paul Millsap and Nikola Jokic staggered more to get Jeremy Grant some more time with Nikola Jokic and things like that. So, who impressed? Will Barton impressed, as I said. Tons of effort on defense, made plays for teammates. He's shaking off the rush of the score, but had some of those vintage thrill moments. And after missing the first couple days of camp, Will Barton got the game he needed to boost himself back up into this conversation. Michael Porter Jr. impressed. Hit tough shots, looked comfortable on the court, gave tons of efforts in both of the ways that Michael Malone had spoken about. He wanted him to rebound effectively and defend effectively. He wasn't effective at it, but he gave as much effort as you could ever ask for. He was crashing the glass uh, relentlessly. He was really trying to be disruptive defensively, but those things are going to come with time. Paul Millsap impressed. Again, he looked five years younger than he is, defended his ass off, hyper-efficient on offense, and was able to be the focal point of the offense with Nikola Jokic out of the game because he was resting Jeremy Grant impressed, hit threes blocked shots, defended on the perimeter with ease, was intimidating down low as a shot blocker, showed off some handles and scoring ability and he just fits so perfect and it was immediately obvious the second that we saw him play in this game Jared Vanderbilt impressed, was able to defend at a high level, level, rebounded the ball well, showed off his re athletic ability, after having that stress fracture in his foot, he lost a lot of the explosion that he had but it's Seems that that is coming back, and we saw it on the alley-oop that he threw down. Uh, He is still very raw on offense, but his defensive potential, his rebounding potential, and his ability to handle the basketball are just so exciting. Um, And then the last person that I thought really impressed was Vlaco Chanchar. I know this is a very niche little section, but Vlaco just did everything right. His ceiling is you know, drastically lower than most players on this team, but his floor is just so high. He just always makes the right decision, can hit open shots, finds open teammates, defends with everything in him, and he may not be a massively impactful player, but you just know what you're going to get every night, and he's not going to get in the way. He won't ever be a negative. He might not be a massive positive, but he won't hurt you. Uh, In my opinion, there was a player who struggled and I did not think Jamal Murray had a very good game in this game. I don't want to hammer it too much because it's the preseason. I don't really care about preseason that much. But overall, Jamal Murray did not look very good. Uh, He turned the ball over too much. He had three turnovers, but it could have been five or six with how loose he was with the ball. His shot selection was really not that good. Uh, He was three of ten from the field, missed both of his three-pointers, only had ten points thanks to his four free-throw attempts. Um, His ability to create was okay. He had a couple really nice pocket passes and things like that, but he just looked very discombobulated, and I'm not sure what it was that threw Jamal Murray off, but he was dribbling into trouble, he was taking bad shots, he was turning the ball over consistently, he wasn't reading the offense, and then on defense, he was dying on screens, he was also not able to stay in front of guys, and when he was, he was just physically over, man- oh, you know, manhandled by whether it was Damian Lillard or C.J. McCollum or Rodney Hood or whoever it was. Jamal Murray just really wasn't able to assert himself on this game and get people excited for what he could bring this season. I thought he really did struggle in this game. Some people thought he was better on defense than I did, and maybe he was. From what I saw, though, he still has quite a ways to go. We're going to take a quick break, and we will be coming back, and we will answer some questions from listeners. Shaving thousands of years, and the secret to a great shave? It really has not changed that much. The ancient Greeks didn't need flex balls or heated handles, and neither do you. That's why Harry's doesn't overcharge you to add gimmicky features to their razors. They focus on delivering what actually matters. Sharp, durable blades at a fair price. I know I have a beard, but I love Harry's because it gives me a close shave, an easy glide, at a low price, and allows me to keep my beard looking trimmed. Do us a favor and check out harrys.com slash for your first free trial today harry's is a return to the essential quality durable blade at a fair price it's just two dollars a blade harry's is just super convenient blade refills are are delivered directly to your door on schedule with or without a subscription and there's no risk to trying them out if you don't love their shave let them know and they'll give you a full refund listeners of my show can redeem their harry's trial set at harry's.com bluewire blue wire you'll get a weighted ergonomic a handle for a firm grip a five blade razor with lubricating strip and trimmer blade rich lathering shave gel with aloe to keep your skin hydrated and a travel blade cover to keep your razor dry and easy to grab on the go go to harrys.com slash blue wire to start shaving better today It has been far too long since I have been able to answer some questions from listeners, and I finally get to do it again today, so get ready. I'm going to keep doing this on the Rocky Mountain Hoops podcast, so keep an eye on Twitter, keep an eye on Instagram. Sometimes when I remember, I'm much worse on my Instagram game than I am on my Twitter game, but... Let's answer some questions that listeners sent in. Just a reminder for everybody, you can send in questions when I put out tweets on Twitter saying, hey, ask me Nuggets questions. You can also look at my Instagram, where I'll sometimes put it up on my story where you can ask questions, or if you're not on either of those platforms and you really want a question answered, you can email me at tmcbride3793 at gmail, or you can can reach out to me on my DMs wherever you can find them. If you can find me on Instagram, find me on Twitter, you don't see the tweets, but you really have a question, reach out to me. My DMs are open everywhere and I'm always looking to talk more and more with the listeners of the show and Denver Nuggets fans as a whole. So, Quick little bit of a preface before I answer these questions. I got a lot of questions that came in. I picked uh, six of them, but there was like nine questions that all had to do with trades, and I'm just not going to talk about possible trades right now. The Nuggets are not going to just completely blow up everything to get a player who isn't currently available from what we all understand, like a Bradley Beal, so... I'm not willing to talk about trades just yet. Let's talk about what is happening on the court and that's talked with at Chill Ducey on Twitter asking how did Will Barton look to you? I thought Will Barton looked comfortable. I think he's shaking off the rust. I think he was mentally engaged. I think his, his defense was underrated in this game. I think he is a very important playmaker who can be a secondary or a third, meri- third or tertiary creator alongside Nikola Jokic or Monte Morris or Jamal Murray however that works. He is just such a great safety valve. He's a guy who can get the ball um, who can get his own shot Who can create for others Who can play off ball Whatever you may need And the fact that he played Better defense last night Was very important So for me Considering that Will Barton only played or didn't practice the first couple days of camp, I thought he looked very good. I was surprised about how comfortable he looked. So I'm curious to see how that continues to grow from there. Miroslav asks, is MPJ in the rotation in the season opener against Portland? So Michael Malone on media day flat out said they have to find a way to play Michael Porter Jr. He's too talented. They drafted him for a reason, yada, yada, yada. So in my opinion based on what we've seen so far, what we have heard so far, I do think Michael Porter Jr. is in the rotation in the season opener against Portland. That is not good for Juanjo Hernan Gomez, who's probably getting pushed down the depth chart very, very quickly. But... I'm finding it harder and harder to not see Michael Porter Jr. in this rotation. Uh, Rick B., Rick Derula, my guy, I love talking to this guy on Twitter. He asked, Vando looked serviceable in the backup five role last night alongside Jeremy Grant. With limited minutes available at the backup five, what are the chances they look to move Plumlee? I find this hyper-interesting because as everyone knows who has followed my work, I love what Jared Vanderbilt brings to the table. And I don't care who you call the four or the five when Jeremy Grant and Jared Vanderbilt are on the floor together, but they work so well in tandem and I love their skill sets together and I think you can play small off the bench while still having great defensive versatility while still being able to run teams without losing anything on the, on the as a rebounding team. Um, sure, you can probably overpower them if you go re- really big against that bench unit, but overall, I thought Vanderbilt looked very good in that backup four slash five role alongside Jeremy Grant. And what's... Going well in his favor, and this is on you know not in his favor because Jared Vanderbilt does not want Mason Plumley to get traded out. I would be I'm not trying to put words in anybody's mouth, but Mason Plumley is on an expiring deal. He's making thirteen and a half million dollars, so it's a very functional amount of money to create a trade. And the Nuggets have so many people who can fill that role for him, whether it's Paul Millsap, whether it's Jeremy Grant, whether it's Jared Vanderbilt. What I will say is that if Nikola Jokic gets hurt and you don't have a legitimate backup five on the roster, that becomes much more dicey. But for me, I do think that the chances are just going higher and higher that Mason Plumlee is not on this Denver Nuggets team by the time the trade deadline comes and goes. He just isn't expiring. There's not a a very big role for him, and he deserves more minutes. So I do think you hit it pretty much on the nose from what we have seen so far in the first preseason game. That Jared Vanderbilt and Jeremy Grant can pick up the minutes at the backup five position that Nikola Jokic is not playing. And Paul Millsap could potentially soak up some of those minutes as well. Ross Homan asked also great. Follow Ross Homan one on Twitter. He wrote for the step in does great draft stuff. Um, How comfortable are you with the Jeremy Grant, Paul Millsap, Nikola Jokic lineups? I need to see more. There's not enough of seeing how it functions yet. But if we're taking what we have seen from Jeremy Grant, his ability to play as a fifth option off ball in a corner, whether he's whether he's attacking closeouts, playing the dunker spot, or just hitting open shots, if he can just do that as a small forward in in that kind of a lineup alongside a Nicole alongside a Jamal Murray, Gary Harris as well, I think that can work. And I think I do think that I would be very comfortable with that as a. Close Closing lineup because you have Gary Harris, Jeremy Grant, Paul Millsap as your three legitimate defenders on the court who can at least attempt to make up for the defensive shortcomings of Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic. So for me, I think you have to play Jeremy Grant to close games because of how impactful he is on both ends of the floor. I think Paul Millsap is the underrated aspect that makes this Nuggets team gel together. So Making sure you have both of them on the floor with Nicole Vajokic might be something the Nuggets have to look into. And on paper, I'm all for it right now, but I need to see more of it. Greg Martino, what is your ideal bench lineup? This has become much more difficult for me, last night in particular, because I am a Mason Plumlee fan. I think Mason Plumlee does a lot of good things for a lot of different NBA teams. But with this Nuggets team, you have to start with Malik Beasley, uh Monte Morris and then probably Michael Porter Jr. We'll see how it works but I w- I would assume you see some Michael Porter Jr. Tory Craig action as a um uh a platoon backup three to start the season, but where it gets interesting is the four and the five. I want to see Jeremy Grant and I want to see Jared Vanderbilt. I doubt we see it at first. I think we're gonna see Jeremy Grant and we're gonna see Mason Plumley at the four or five. But I want to see more of that Grant Vanderbilt front court. I really like the look that they were able to provide together. And then if you play those two With Torrey Craig at the three or Michael Porter Jr. at the three and then Monte Morris being able to set up everybody with a Malik Beasley or a Torrey Craig at the two, you can then match up defensively or offensively, play small, play big. There are so many things the Nuggets can do with their bench lineup, but as of right now, I'm all in on Monte Morris, Malik Beasley, Michael Porter Jr., Jared Vanderbilt, Jeremy Grant, but we'll wait and see because I doubt Mason Plumlee gets pushed out of the rotation entirely. Last question, will Juancho Hernan Gomez force his way into the rotation this year? This is looking less and less likely, and he has three more preseason games to change the circumstances, but... One of Torrey Craig, Michael Porter Jr., and Juancho Hernan Gomez will be completely out of the rotation, and the other one will be playing a very small role off the bench. So it looks like right now Wancho Hernan Gomez is the, out, is the guy on the outside looking in, which sucks because Juancho has done anything to hurt, him, to hurt his case. It just kind of is what it is. So right now, I do not think Juancho will force his way into the rotation this year. Alright, that's all I got. I talked a lot about one preseason game, and I... Probably talk too much, but oh well, it was a lot of fun. It was Michael Porter Jr.'s debut. Lots of good things happened. So I hope you guys enjoyed the show. Make sure to go subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. This podcast is everywhere Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Himalaya, all of those different podcast platforms. You can find the Rocky Mountain Hoops podcast. So make sure you subscribe. Go leave a five star review. Please leave a review because that's really helpful for me. There's not a ton of reviews. I'm going to try and push that a lot throughout the next few weeks. So please leave a review wherever you leave reviews. Please leave me a five-star review. That is extremely helpful. And again, if you want to ask questions, but you're not, but you don't see the tweet or you're not on Instagram or whatever it may be, you can email me at tmcbride3793 at Gmail, or you can DM me on Twitter or on Instagram. My DMs are open. Thank you guys so much for listening. I'll have a new show coming out after the Nuggets take on the Clippers next, and I will talk to you guys later. Have a good one. Since 2010, Terrapin Care Station has been providing patients and customers with high quality cannabis products at everyday low prices. Serving the communities of Denver, Boulder, and Aurora, they offer their own flower and concentrates as well as all the brands you love at prices that you just won't believe. They pride themselves in having the most knowledgeable and professional staff in the industry and their team will work with you one-on-one to help you find the products that are perfect for you. Their dispensaries are unassuming, safe, and discreet with ample parking at every location for a seamless retail experience. For up-to-date menus and promotions, head over to www.terrapincarestation.com or just come visit one of their five convenient Colorado locations today. Again, that is terrapincarestation.com, T E R R A P I N carestation.com.